might be seated at this time. The kids are dismissed well, and uh, our ushers will be coming around to take the offering. I would like to welcome you this morning to White Oak. Uh, I don't know what it is, but uh, I'm pretty sure about a year and a half ago, I bought a house in Houston. But I keep waking up in Seattle. Anyone been feeling that way recently? It's really weird. I think we're on a streak now where it's been seven Sundays in a row where it's been not sunny on a Sunday morning. And studies have shown that church attendance is down on non-sunny days, which I totally believe, but looks like we have a good crowd this morning, so thankful for that. But I love that song, Every Hour I Need Thee. What a song of just complete dependence. And I don't know what your week was like this week. I know how a few of you's weeks went, and I know there were some struggles and some tough things. It's been a busy week here in the church. And yet it's week like this that I, I go back to Psalm 116 and I hold on to the promises that Jesus meets us where we're at. That he, he comes to us, that he deals with us bountifully, that he is just. And I cling to those promises that my hope would be restored. And in the same way that I pray for, for peace, I hope like me you're praying for, for transformation in your life. We're in a series called Without Borders where we are dreaming and praying that God would completely transform us. And we use this title of Without Borders because we are inviting Christ to transform us completely. And we're going through the Sermon on the Mount, which is the most comprehensive talk of Jesus Christ that we have recorded. Like it's, if you wanted to go to the place where Jesus talks the most and gives the most thought out sermon, this would be at Matthew's, Matthew chapter 5 through 7, the Sermon on the Mount. And we're going through this piece by piece, calling it Without Borders, because while we're going through a bunch of topical stuff, like we're going to do some stuff like that today, ultimately the whole point is this is that Jesus came to transform us completely in every individual area of our lives. There's a common saying in our culture that says that two out of three ain't bad, right? You ever heard that? Two out of three ain't bad, four out of five ain't bad? And if you're shooting free throws, that's kind of true, right? Or if you're trying to have a good day every single day, two out of three ain't bad, right? It's a saying. I like that saying. It's, there's a lot of wisdom in that. However, that's not a good way to approach your Christian life. In your Christian life, two out of three is not good. Two out of three means you got one out of three things to work on still, right? And that's what the Sermon on the Mount is. It's like you're thinking, like, I can imagine, like, as they're listening to Jesus speak, they're, like, hoping he doesn't get to their sin, right? Like, it's like the guy was good until he got to anger. He's like, oh, man, that means I got to do something here, right? Judging others is coming up, just so you know. And so is next week, how about don't be anxious? We all need a word on that, don't we? But I fall more and more in this love of being without borders because 
the way that we are expressing the biblical narrative today, because we're trying to express the biblical narrative. We're trying to express the message of Jesus today in Houston in 2015 in a way in which the people today can understand it. Because sometimes we get stuck in the ways that we explain things. And maybe it worked in, in one era, but it doesn't work in another. And so the way that we're explaining Jesus in sin and, and holiness is that the ultimate goal of the Christian life is to be close to God, is, is to come close to Christ, who was God. And we believe that sin creates a border between us. We believe that sin creates this, this border, like sin distances us from God because we're not like him. And as we begin to surrender the areas of our lives and ask for Jesus to transform us in areas like, like money and judging people and anxiety and anger and lust and persecution, as we invite him to transform us in these things, as we begin to apply his word to our lives and transform who we are, we come closer to him through obedience. We come closer to joy through obedience. We're living without borders. There's a story contained in three different of the gospel accounts. And it's the story of the rich young ruler or rich young man. Raise your hand if you've ever heard this story. The rich young ruler or rich young man. And it's this really cool story of how Jesus is walking around with his disciples. He's transforming the world, performing miracles, doing all that cool stuff. And this guy comes up to Jesus. And uh, he's a rich, young ruler, which, much like our day, um, back in Jesus' day, if you were a rich, young person, that was the pinnacle of existence. Because you had money. You were a man, which was the preferred gender of the day, and you were young, so you were going to get to enjoy that wealth for a very, very long time on this earth, supposedly. And this rich young man comes up to Jesus, and he asks Jesus, he says, um, what must I do to inherit the kingdom of God? Because even though he's rich, he is intrigued by this thing of the, the kingdom of God. Jesus looks back at the guy and he says, obey the commandments. To which the young man looks back at Jesus and says, this is the best question, which ones, right? That's, that's our whole question, right? What commandments do I need to, to do? What, what morality do I need to accept to go to heaven, right? That's what we're always asking, right? That's not living without borders. That's not gospel center, but that's what we tend to ask. And so Jesus begins listing different commandments because he asks which one. He goes, well, honor your father and mother. Uh, don't kill anybody. Uh, don't lie. Don't steal. You know, obey the, uh, keep the Sabbath. Do all these things. And, and the young man look, looks back at Jesus and says, I've done all those. But Jesus knew the root of this man's heart. You see, he was a rich, young man. And having said all this, he looks at the rich young man and Jesus says, go sell everything you have, all of your treasures, and give it to the needy. And the gospel of Matthew says that the guy doesn't even say anything back to Jesus. All it says is that he walks away sadly. 
Because you see, White Oak, that was the step that he wasn't willing to take. And Jesus knew that. And Jesus invites all of the broken people just like you and me to follow him. But to be close to Jesus, to experience the joy that is at his side, we have to walk with him and we have to take these steps in obedience. And the reason why we're talking about being without borders is because we have to take these steps. And, and many of us, we, we, we highlight all the things that we're good at and we kind of ignore the sins that we struggle with or we say that we're just made that way or we say that it's not that big of a deal. And yet deep down in our hearts, we know that Jesus is calling us to surrender and to obedience and ultimately to joy by his side. And I love what Jesus says after the young man walks away. He says one more thing. And I don't know if the rich young man heard this, if he was still with him, or, or maybe he was just saying it to the people that were still there. But he says this crazy phrase, and this is the, the craziest part of the story with the rich young ruler. He says, it is harder for a man who is rich to enter the kingdom of heaven than for a camel to go through the eye of a needle. What in the world does that mean? It is harder for a rich man to enter the kingdom than for a camel to go through the eye of a needle. I got a picture here. I'm going to visualize this, okay? So this is a picture. <laughs> I googled this. It's not to scale. And the crazy thing is, is that it's actually even harder to, than this because the needle in real life is a lot less smaller than that. Most needles that I know are not the same size as the camel. And even if it was that big, it would still be impossible, but it's a lot smaller. So Jesus is driving home that dramatic effect, isn't he? You see, we're called to live without borders. We're called to give everything for Jesus. We're called to, to abandon all of the things, even the things that we struggle with the most. Because Jesus is better. Because walking with him is more fulfilling. Because our souls do not find rest in the sins that we cling to. He invites us into hope. He invites us to walk away from these things that are not fulfilling and to lean into the spiritual component of life, which we seem to ignore a lot in the Western world, don't we? He invites us to find freedom through faith in Jesus. He invites us to live a different kind of life. And the Sermon on the Mount are different steps that we are called to take. But then you might ask this. What's the deal with like the camel thing, right? That, that's, let's go back to that. Let's, let me go back to the picture for me. Okay, Wh why does Jesus say this? See, a lot of times we look at like what is said and we don't analyze kind of why it was said. And I think the reason why Jesus talks about money and the rich, and I think what we're going to look at today in Matthew chapter 6, is that it is hard to focus on being rich in, the, in this life and also being rich in the kingdom. There's almost like there's this divide between this world, this broken world that we're living in, and the kingdom that is coming. There's this, there's this divide, and at times in our lives, we have to choose as to what we're going to invest ourselves in. 
Money is quick to become our savior. Money is quick to become our God. Money is quick to become this thing that consumes us and gives us this momentary happiness or this momentary security. And yet Jesus offers us living water. He offers us treasures in heaven. And I've heard it said that often the last thing to get saved is a person's wallet. I don't know if that's true or not. And at White Oak, I'll be honest, we, we don't talk a whole lot about money. I would say as a pastor, I don't talk about money pretty much ever. But we've come to a place in Matthew 6, if you turn there with me now, starting in verse 19, where Jesus brings up this idea of money. And this morning, you have a phenomenal opportunity. You see, the title of the sermon is called Deathbed Decisions. And you're probably wondering where I'm going with that, and you're going to find out. You have the opportunity this morning to reflect on your life in these next 20 minutes and to make kingdom-centered decisions for as long as you shall live. You've been granted a grace in the span of your life and this service to reflect. I'm not going to ask you to do anything. I'm just going to say, let's, let's reflect for a little bit and let's, let's, let's respond as needed. Because I think oftentimes we live mindlessly, and I would even include that in our finances. But we're given this picture in Matthew chapter 6, verse, starting verse 19. It says this. It'll be up on the screen. You, you can stay seated. It says... Jesus is talking to his disciples, and we kind of get to peer into this conversation that he's having with them. And he tells them this. He says, Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. You ever been stolen from? We go to White Oak all the time. We get broken in all the time. It's been a while, but, I mean, per capita, we're tons of break-ins, right? We're constantly hit up. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But, Jesus says, lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. He goes on to say that the eye is the lamp of the body. So if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, then your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, then how great is the darkness? And then he closes by saying, No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. May God bless this word. Here's the idea today. Here's the opportunity. Here's the chance that you have today. Take time to reflect and contemplate what things are of eternal value and then decide how you will spend your money or your treasure on this earth. Just take time to reflect. Take time to stop and just think about the, the end and, and, and the, the big picture. Take time to stop and reflect and contemplate. And, and whatever comes out of that, then choose how you will spend the money that you've been blessed with or the money that you have been given. 
he uses this word treasure. And I, I looked up the actual meaning of that word in the original language. And the word treasure, he uses a, a word different from money there, which is interesting. And I used to think treasure just was a general term, right? It just meant kind of anything, time, talents, tre- whatever, you know? But really, in the original language, what, what this word meant was like, not just money, but the greatest portion of your wealth. So the greatest portion of your money or, or the thing that you had the most invested in. So for many of us, that would be my house. That's my biggest investment in this world, right? My house and then my car. Just got a new car, by the way. Really excited about that. Uh, 2015 Corolla White, sitting out there in the front parking lot. Um, I'm going to say about it every week, all right? Thank you. Thank you. That would be considered my treasure. So somehow I got to find a way to bless God with my 2015 white Toyota Corolla standard model, automatic. I got to find a way to do that. But we need to take time to reflect and contemplate what things are of eternal value and then decide how you will spend your money. I want to invite you into something with me. I have this process that I've developed. And it's probably not something I developed. A lot of people probably do this. But I have this thing, and I've even named it. It's called deathbed decisions, okay? And what I do, this is, I I cannot recommend this enough to you. It is so helpful for every decision in my life. Um, It can be used for money or for anything. I do this scenario where any time in my life I'm ever having a tough time making a decision, I always do the same thing. I've been doing this for about a year now, and I've probably done it about six or seven times, okay? Whenever I'm having to make a really, really, really tough decision, I always imagine in my mind that I'm on my deathbed, okay? And so if you'll go there with me, I want you to literally in your mind think about like if you knew you had a week to live, you've lived a good life, and and your time for whatever reason is coming to an end, um, where would you be and in what circumstance would you be? And so for me, I like my house and my backyard's landscape really cool. And, you know, my family's around there. So I'd probably be in my backyard on like a twin bed, right, laying and reflecting upon my life, okay? I'd be there at the very end. And what I always do is I, is I create this scenario and I really literally imagine myself there. Maybe it's a, a relationship that I'm uh, having to make a decision about. Maybe it's, a, maybe it's a job for you. Maybe it's a, a decision. Maybe it's where you're going to live, what you're going to do. Maybe you've got a, a really, really big decision, and you're trying to make that decision. And so I imagine myself laying there on my deathbed, reflecting on my life in a really peaceful way. And then I ask myself the question that I'm trying to get an answer to. And almost every single time, the answer becomes so easy and so obvious. And if it doesn't become obvious, it at least becomes a lot more clear. It's called deathbed decisions. And I don't say that to be morbid. My wife was like, that's a really morbid sermon title. And it kind of is. But if we can live our lives knowing the obvious that there will come that moment, we can make kingdom-centered decisions from the very beginning. And while some of us think, well, I might be a lot closer to that moment than you, none of us are guaranteed a week. You could be 23 years old. And I think that's kind of what Jesus is inviting the church to do in this moment. 
He is inviting us to spend time reflecting and contemplating things like money and our choices and our decisions. And he's inviting us into this really cool opportunity to build something that will last with our lives in eternity. It says, uh, you cannot serve both God and money. Like, like you're going to have to make a decision in every decision you make as to what direction you're going to go and what you're going to do. In Psalm 119, we looked at this last week, it says, turn my eyes from looking at worthless things and give me life in your ways. We should spend time in reflection regarding money and treasure. Like, like honestly, I, I really mean just reflection. I'm not even telling you what to do with it. I, I've recently been looking over like my journals. I'm not a big journaler, but I'm trying to do more so of that. But uh, I, I found my journal from about two or three years ago. And as I'm looking over my journal entries and the things that I, I wrote, it is so amazing to reflect and see how the, all the things I was trying to struggle with in the moment were kind of obvious choices. See, the problem is the, the choice is usually easy. We're just afraid to make it. We're afraid of the consequences. It's not that we don't know what to do. It's just that we're afraid to actually do it. And I honestly believe a lot of times we waste a lot of our life. We, we waste a lot of our, our treasure. We waste a lot of our effort simply because we don't ever take time to sit down at the table in our, in our kitchen and just think about life and just reflect and just, just, just evaluate. Where am I going? What am I doing? Like if life is a valuable thing and we never take time just to stop and to look back and to say, man, what are my goals 10 years down the road? What is God calling me to? What is the kingdom going to entail? I mean, honestly, if we would just stop and reflect the same way Jesus says, don't store up treasures here, store them up. And he's like saying, take a step back and just reflect and look at what's really, really important in this life. Socrates said that the unexamined life is not worth living. He believed the purpose of life was personal and spiritual growth. Maybe you could say the unexamined purchase is not worth purchasing. You see, our culture just turns us into consumers. I am so addicted to Amazon. Like, I just discovered Amazon a few months back. I may have known about it, but I became a Prime member, right? How many Amazon Prime members are in here? They're taking over. It's like, look, it, I can buy anything on the internet. I, I could get my iPad right here. I got internet access from the office, right? I could hop on my internet. I could buy black socks. No, like orange socks. Right now, from, from here, in like less than 30 seconds, and it would be at my doorstep in less than two days. Do I need to buy orange socks? I'm asking a question. Do I need to buy orange socks? Do I want to buy orange socks? We just buy stuff. I went to Target with my wife the other day, and we were getting like a wedding shower present, and I walked out with new shoes. Now, granted, they were on sale. They were, th they were like these kind of shoes for 13 bucks. And so, you know, but still, we're just consuming. Like everything is advertising, internet, television. Like they put advertisements on the side of metro buses. I mean, everywhere there's just advertisements. 
and we don't examine our lives, we don't ever stop, we don't reflect. This even goes for your life, like journaling, like thinking about my life and where I'm going and what I, we just live mindlessly. And we just spend our money mindlessly. If I get it, well, then I can go spend it on something. But what this point says when we say, spend time in reflection regarding your money and treasure, it just means literally ask yourself, what honors God? What does God care about? What will last in the end? How can my money make a difference for the gospel? On my deathbed, what will I want it to give my money to? Just reflect. Just, just dream about the eternal value of things. And then act. It, it is sad to say that at the end of our lives, many of us will have spent more money on cable television than on the ministry of the local church. Many of you will spend more money on buying desserts throughout your life than on taking the gospel to nations that have never heard the name Jesus who are heading to the place of condemnation. Not because you mean to, not because that's your goal, just because we don't reflect. You see, reflection brings perspective. And we don't stop. We don't reflect. We don't look back. And therefore, we waste time, money, treasure, and talent. You see, you will spend your money, but will your money make a difference? One day you will either lose or spend all of your money. It will all be gone. You came in this world naked and you will, you will leave naked and what will you have done? Somebody's like, man, I need to change some stuff. What a grace that we get to contemplate this today together. We all have the opportunity to hear what Jesus says, to store up treasures in heaven, and to change. We, we have the opportunity right now to stop living mindless, aimless, meaningless lives. We, we can be of so much meaning and so much value in the kingdom and what God's doing. And we have been given this opportunity. God has sat us down in this moment, brought us to his word, opened it before us, and is blessing us with it. And we have this hope and this, this amazing opportunity that we can do something. And even right now, it just seems so obvious, not because it's like some hidden secret, but just because we took time to stop and reflect. But what happens is the world gets us so busy. So busy. I'm so busy. I'm too busy. I, I was reading this thing that, that the new thing that's going on right now is uh, the new online entrepreneurial companies, they're trying to perfect same-day delivery for everything you buy. Startups are trying, like, especially in big cities like Houston, they're trying to make it to where you can buy anything and not even have Amazon Prime where it comes to your house in two days. They will bring it to you the day of, meaning if you want a bag of ice, they'll bring it to you. And the reason why they say this is becoming so popular is because humans today in our culture are so busy that we literally don't have the time to do things like go to the grocery store. We just don't have time because we're too busy. We don't have time to sit down like, like, and, and be with our family. 
because we're too busy. And yet Jesus offers us the opportunity to make deathbed decisions. And I mean that with hope. I mean that with promise. That the things that I'm doing today count in eternity. That the money that I spend today will be used for good. The last point is this. Make deathbed decisions with the kingdom in mind. Make deathbed decisions with the kingdom in mind. I told you I just bought this new car. Super nice. And I bought a Toyota Corolla 2015. It's as standard as it gets, right? And the way I've been saying it, in terms of like why I bought this car, how it's an investment, here's my mentality. I've told a few of this. That car that I just bought, that will be my teenage kid's first car. That's how I'm looking at this. That's how I'm thinking. That's going to be, Lord willing, his or her first car. I think it's going to be a boy. So his first car. Halsey's not pregnant. I, I, I didn't want to send you anything. No. But whenever that time comes. Oh, man. Um, but what if I told you I just bought that car so I could drive some more tomorrow? That's the only reason why I bought it. You would say, you're not smart, John. I bought a new car just so I could get somewhere tomorrow. Would that be a good investment? No, the answer is no. It would not be a good investment. I bought that car. I paid the money that I paid. I got a good deal, and I went for it because I'm going to drive it for a long time. It is a long-term investment. When you buy a car, you don't buy it just because you've got to get to your friend's house tomorrow. You buy it because you're going to drive it for a long time. It's going to give you a lot of value. You're, you're reflecting on your decision, and you're making a wise choice. And that's what it means to make deathbed decisions with the kingdom in mind, is that we consider eternity. We consider what really has value. We have to take a step back, turn off Netflix, put the phone away in the other room. I know how hard that is. And even maybe sit in the quiet for like three minutes by yourself. And just think about your life. And think about the Sermon on the Mount. And then live and spend your money accordingly. So how do we do this? We consider eternity. Number two, we consider other people. I'm a chingy person, okay? Like, I just am. And last night... Um, it was kind of late. Halsey and I had a kind of a crazy week, and um, Halsey had gone somewhere, and she had gotten lost. Like, Google Maps, like, took a total—it was like an out-of-town wedding shower, and totally bad situation. And so she was having a tough day, and this thought crossed my mind. And I say this not because I'm a really thoughtful guy, but literally, I was literally—I was, like, looking over my sermon notes, and it, like, led me to change my ways— 
this thought crossed my mind, how can, I, how can I bless her with my money? And so I went out, bought her frozen yogurt, bought her flowers, and that was a very, very good $15 investment because of what it did for her. No, don't got to clap for me. No, 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 no. I'm not that guy. That's the whole point. Like, I'm not that guy. Like, I, that, that's a weakness in, in our relationships. I'm not the most romantic person. I'm just like basic, get it done, pay the bills, you know. Let's be like, I'm not that guy. But I was reading this text and I'm like, in the end, am I going to be glad that I spent that money? You bet I am. Consider eternity with your money. Consider others. Consider the church. The Bible refers to us as this gathered body, as the bride of Christ that one day he's going to come back for. And the reality is that to do the things that we do, it, it does cost money. I always mention this, I'm not on commission (laughs) so you'll give money I don't make any more money but the local church lasts one of the honors we have is is when uh, people in our church go on to meet Jesus and we have their funeral here it's so special to to have it here in a place where so many of them invested so much and to say that even though they're passing the torch on to us we're still running with it and one of these days Maybe I might even, like, be, have my funeral right here. I'll be laying right there. And I will have known that every investment that I made in this place, by God's grace, will go on. I'll be honest. It's, how, how ironic is this that we're talking about this at tax time, okay? Like, I'm paying my taxes after this, like, trying to finish that up. But, like, and then Jesus brings us to this, like, tax season. And I say that because, like, I'll be honest, with every decision, like, I write all the checks, I pay the bills, every time I pay for anything, there's always this tension in my heart of, like, do I really need this? Do, do I really need to spend this money? Do I really need the internet? Do, do I really need these things? And that's a healthy tension that we should do, and we should reflect on those things. And honestly, and I'm, I'm, I'm just being honest, you can think I'm lying or, or whatever, but the only check that I never regret writing, I never wonder if this is a good investment, is when I tithe to the local church. It's the only time I never wonder if this is a good investment. I want to invite you into the joy of giving. Even if you're young, regardless of who you are, one of the best things my mom ever did for me was when I was like seven or eight, like they'd pass the plate, she'd like give me pennies to put in the plate just to get used to giving, to being generous, to giving people in need. You just create a culture of giving and generosity. And just a side note, you know, you don't, You don't grow in generosity by being a hoarder. You don't grow in love by hoarding love. You don't don't grow in hope by hoarding hope. And and you don't grow in generosity by not being generous. And lastly, and this is going to sound really weird, consider yourself. Consider your heart. That you would be able to provide for yourself that we would be self-sufficient people, not a burden on somebody else, that we could help other people, that we could love other people, that we could get to a place where we can bless others. Being organized with our finances is a good thing. Being not wasteful is a good thing. 
because it increases our opportunities to be generous. And we all have times where we need help. I do, you do. But we seek to live in such a way that we spend the majority of our life blessing others. You see, money, even money, is a gospel issue. Gospel says, I used to do this, but Christ loved me and died for me, and now I do this. I am transformed. In every area of our life, it should be, I used to do this, but then Christ, and now I do this with everything that we do. And as we close, um, and as we get ready to take the Lord's Supper, I'm going to ask you to reflect. Not, not financially, just in general. Reflect on your heart. Reflect on your week. Before we come to the Lord's Supper, before we come to the table, which is where we um, take of the bread and the juice as remembrance of Christ's body, broken for us and his blood shed for us, as we take of these elements, as we consume them, it's a spiritual meal for our soul to remember what he did for us and to recommit ourselves this week as we scatter and go into the world. It's to remember what he did, but also prepare us for the coming week. But before we take this, would you bow your heads with me? I'm going to ask you to reflect before we come forward. This moment right now, church, is the climax of the service. The climax is not the sermon. It's not our favorite song. It's this moment right here. Let's take a few seconds just to pray to the Lord, to share our heart, to repent of sin. That we could come to the table with repentant and love-filled hearts. Father, we pray for this time. We pray, Lord, that as we prepare our hearts and our minds to come forward to take of the Lord's Supper, that you would remind us of our love for you. I pray that as we walk towards the table, Lord, that it would be symbolic of our journey in this life of drawing close and closer to you. I pray, Lord, that as we take of this meal, this spiritual nourishment, that you would transform us, God. I pray that it would produce fruit in our life, that it would produce holiness and goodness. It would produce love for you. It would produce love for other people. I pray it would nourish us. I pray that you would forgive us of the ways this week in which we fell short. And grant us the grace to reflect in this moment that we might see what you're calling us to do, that we might see what is that step 
that we need to take. And that we would take that step with faith. Ask all these things in the perfect name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. At this time, uh, we're going to